So if you want to open your Bible uh, to 1 Peter, or you can use the card this morning, that's primarily where we're going to camp out is on the front of the back of that card. Or you can open up the Bibles that are on the end of your row to page 1015. So those are your choices. Your own Bible, if you've got a Bible on the end of the row, page 1015. And then uh, you can just use the card that I gave you if you want to do that. We are talking about what our purpose is as a local church. And we say, from studying God's word, that we exist to glorify God by building a community of spirit-filled disciples who are living on gospel mission. And last week, we focused primarily on this whole idea of the glory of God. And we went to Ephesians, and we saw that it says there very clearly, to him be the glory in the church. And so we backed our way through that uh, past the scripture, and it took me way too long and cumbersome, but in short, here is what it should have looked like in your brain as we walked our way through that passage last week. So the goal, the end of the passage said, to him be glory in the church. And as we backed our way through it, we realized that in order for God to be getting glory in the church, we had to be strengthened with his power in us. And to get his power in us, we then had to be filled with the fullness of God. And to be filled with the fullness of God, we need to know the love of Christ. So our aim last week was that we would spend time making sure that we understood and were growing in the, our knowledge of the love of Christ, which you can't fully know because it's beyond comprehension, so that we would then be filled with God, so we'd have power, and then God would get glory. So that's kind of what we built last week. Today I want to talk more about our go mission and our go mission for the glory of God. I'm going to do that from these verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, which we memorized together a long time ago, like 2017, I think, we worked on this passage of scripture. So if it sounds very familiar, you'll know why. And I thought, I want us for this fall to spend a couple of weeks at least just refreshing it, if you, if you already had it memorized, or going at it for the first time and, uh, and memorizing these verses. But what I love about this passage is that it has every element of our mission in it. It's got gospel. It's got community. It's got our go mission. It has our grow mission. It's got something about the spirit. It's all woven together in 1 Peter chapter 2. So what I want to do is read it to you. And as I do, I want you to be looking for our vision statement. Where are the elements of our vision statement as I read this? And I'm actually, I told you you could issue your blue card, but I'm going to back up in 1 Peter and read a little more. So you will have to look in your Bible to see where I'm going until I get to verse 12, which is what's on, or verse 9, which is on your card. Does that make sense? So you've got your Bible open. I'm actually going to start reading in chapter 1, the very last verse, because I think that ties it all together for us. So I'm in 1 Peter. I'm actually in chapter 1, verse 25. Be looking for elements of our vision statement. Maybe we should put that back up, Bree, just have the, we exist to glorify God by building a community. So people can kind of look at that because all the pieces of that are in this passage. That's why we're camping here this morning. So here we go. The last part of verse 25 of chapter one says this, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So he just talked all about the gospel. He says, this word, this, this gospel is good news that was preached to you. Therefore, so chapter two, verse one, put away all malice, and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, by, that by it you may grow. Does that sound familiar? You may grow up into the salvation. 
So I don't know if you think about yourself that way, but you are hopefully in the process of growing up into the salvation you already have. If indeed, he says, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Built up as a spiritual house. That sure sounds like building a community of spirit-filled disciples, right? Read what it says. Built up as a spiritual house, being built up into a community together, a spiritual community, a spirit-filled community. So there, there it is at the heart of it. This is what God is doing. He's doing this in us. He is building us up into a spiritual house to accomplish his purposes, which is, he says, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. And now he launches into what happens if you don't believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word but they, as they were destined to do. But you, it's not true for you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's People, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and... Glorify God on the day of visitation. So the end of all this culminates in the glory of God on the day of his visitation. So what I want to do now is I want to walk through this and I want to show us how these verses, rightly applied, will change us from the inside out and fuel our vision as a church. So I'm just going to walk through our vision statement in this passage. And so the first thing I want to draw our attention to is the word community, the idea of community, right? We got gospel, community, mission, go and grow as part of the mission. We need the spirit to fill us. I want to start with community. And I want to rejoice in the reality that we this morning are a community. And so verse nine, look there, this is the transition where, where he, he says, but you, he had just got done explaining how there are people who stumble over the gospel. They reject the gospel. They're offended by the gospel. They don't believe in the gospel. And then he comes out and he says, but you, you do believe. You are a, and he's, he's redefining who you are. And it's just a chance to remember what your life was like, if you can remember that, prior to being converted. You were in the dark. You were alienated from God. You didn't believe. Christianity was a stumbling block. And then he says, but you, but you. He's comparing and contrasting the old you to the new you, to people who believe and people who do not believe. 
And he says, but you, is a way of, I think, just bringing joy to us to remember that we're different. That God has worked in you in a way that makes you radically different from people who do not believe. And then in verse 9, he starts piling up phrase after phrase to give us our identity. Who are we? And so let's read verse 9. Let me read verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race. He's just heaping on phrase after phrase. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So you and I are now part of a brand new family. We have a new identity. It's almost like he's saying there's something bigger than you going on here. You're part of something huge, new, that you now belong to. And so he uses these phrases. You're a chosen race. The church is all races brought together to form one brand new race. And we are part of it. He says you're a royal priesthood. What did priests do in the Old Testament? What did they do? They interceded, right? You'd bring Fluffy to the priest and say, I've sinned. And he'd put hand on Fluffy and... Fluffy's throat would get slashed and he, he mediated for you. Well, now you're the mediator. Not in the sense that Jesus is, but the idea is you stand between people and God to point them not to a lamb, but to the lamb. You're a royal priest this morning if you are a born-again believer. And so that's, that's who we are. He says you're a holy nation, meaning you've been set apart. And then I love verse 10. He says you're a people for his own possession. You are a people. Notice all of these are in the plural. In other words, it's a group. It's a community. It's a gathering of a group of people together. And he says that we are his own possession. We belong to God. God has called us to be a people with his presence abiding in it. And so that's your new identity. You belong to something that is eternal and of infinite value the family of God, the church of God, the community of God. He calls us God's people in verse 10. I mean, if you're going to belong to a group of people, belong to God's people, right? Be part of God's people. And so he's saying that's who you are. You're, you're part of this thing called the universal church. And for now, you get a little taste of it in local churches, the idea is we get a taste of it now, of what's coming, and we get a tiny little glimpse of what's going to happen one day when we realize we're part of something way bigger than just us, personally, and way bigger than just us as a local church. There's something eternal and grand that God is doing. It's just good to remember that there are no other groups or organizations that can claim to be God's people. Right? You can be a part of the American Legion, but they can't say, and we're God's people, Right? There's no football team that can say, we're God's people. Only we can say that as a church. Churches are the only place that can say, we are God's people gathered together. We belong to something. And I don't know if you know this about yourself or about people in your life, but God created people for community. He created us. We crave relationships. We crave community. So God put that craving in us knowing that he would bring about the church, all the way back in Genesis where it says the church actually started, to give us a place to have community the way that he wanted us to have it. So he, he gives us what we crave. He puts the craving in us and he puts us in churches where we can enjoy the presence of God. And so how does he do this? How does this come about? 
How do we go from not believing and stumbling and disobeying? What, how does Peter describe what God does for, here, does for us here? Well, he does it in one word. In one word, he describes what it is that knits us together. What is it that makes it possible for us to be a people? And he says it this way in verse 10. He says, once you had not received mercy. Mercy. But now you have received mercy. Mercy. It's interesting that mercy is the word that God put in Peter's heart in this passage to connect us to our identity in the local church. Mercy is when God sees you suffering and meets the need. Mercy is when God sees you have a need and he meets it. And so here God has met a need that we have for community. He has shown mercy to us by allowing us to be part of something bigger than us, part of a community where we can have a brand new identity. And of course, all that comes really through the gospel. I mean, mercy is just another shorthand word. There's hundreds of them in scripture, different ways the gospel is described. And this is just another one. It's through mercy. He's been merciful to us. And because of his mercy, he saw us in need, in need of salvation, in need of reconciliation to God. And so what does God do? He sends Christ to meet that need. He shows mercy. So mercy is another gospel word for us this morning. So if you're taking notes, the second thing I see here is, is in the word mercy is this idea of the gospel. The gospel is at work in the church. The gospel is the centerpiece of the church. The gospel is what makes it possible for us to be here. If we didn't all have mercy in common, we wouldn't be here. We need mercy in order to be part of God's local church and the church at large. We need mercy. But I want you to notice one last thing here in verses 9 and 10. And that is what's sandwiched in the middle. I don't understand why Peter does it this way. But if you look, he, he says in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then he kind of repeats the same thing in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. But in the middle of that, he gives us a purpose statement. In the middle of that, he tells us why. Why did he show you mercy? And then why does he bring all these people that he's shown mercy to together in community? Why does he do it? And so he makes it very plain and straightforward as to the reason why. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, what's it say? Proclaim. That you may proclaim. That you would be a proclaimer. That you would be a preacher. That you would be a praiser. That's what he's saying. He, he has made it so that you and I would proclaim something. We are now proclaimers. And then he tells us exactly what it is that we are to proclaim and how we are to proclaim it. What are we proclaiming? What's it say? We're proclaiming the excellencies, the glory, the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Do you understand that community is for mission? Does that make sense? 
God gathers us together for a purpose. And the purpose here, the way that Peter words it, is that we would proclaim how excellent Christ is to one another. That's what he's saying. That's that's your goal. That's the aim. And I I want you to notice that the word excellencies is plural. So I have a feeling that Peter thinks there's more than one. (laughs) I have a feeling that Peter thinks there's more than one. And, side note, what did Peter do? three times. What did Peter do when a little girl came up to him and said, hey, don't you know Jesus? What did Peter do? Did he proclaim the excellencies of Christ? (laughs) Not that time. That's for sure. So when I read this, I picture Peter writing this going, I've received mercy and this mercy has set me free. So now this man who used to shrink back when a little girl came to me, now I can actually proclaim the excellencies because of the mercy that I've received from Christ. And that's what the church is about. I mean, it's pretty simple. The idea is that we are to proclaim how excellent Christ is to those around us. We're to proclaim the excellencies of the one who brought us from darkness to light. Meaning, maybe you know people that are in the dark. Life is hard, and they don't know Jesus, and they're literally in the dark, groping for some answer, something to hold on to. They find themselves confused about who they are, confused about their purpose, confused about their identity, looking for answers in the dark and not being able to find them. And so he gathers us together and says, now you go and you proclaim how excellent his mercy is to those who are living in confusing, dreadful darkness. And if Jesus calls us out of something, out of darkness, he always calls us into something. If there's an out, there's an in. And the out is out of darkness and the in is into light. He wants us to proclaim the excellencies of Christ so that it sheds light into people who find themselves in darkness, who don't know that Christ is excellent. And so he puts us here as a people to do that. And, and notice, notice the detailed words here in verse 9. It's not just any kind of light. It's whose light? Whose light is it? His. And who's the his? God. And what kind of light is it? It's marvelous light. It's marvelous light. So you now have marvelous light to proclaim. And after all, isn't Jesus is the light of the world, right? We know that. So you're, you're proclaiming his light. In the, in the word, in the Greek, the word marvelous means the word extraordinary or striking or surpassing human comprehension. So we are called out of darkness into a extraordinary light. His striking light, his surprising light. That's what we proclaim to others. Once you were in darkness, you couldn't see his excellencies, you were blind to who he was, but then he opened your eyes to see his excellencies. You were in the dark. Do you remember when you were in the dark? And then he called you out called you out of darkness and he opened your eyes with the light so you could see how excellent Christ is so that you could find other people who are in the dark and share with them how excellent Christ is. That's the way God designed it. 
You realize we're, we're part of God's plan and God's not sending angels to do our job or writing in the sky. He's left it with us to be people who proclaim how excellent Christ is. We proclaim his excellencies over addictions and depression and conflicts and everything that's wrong in this world. We get to proclaim the excellency of Christ to shine light on them. To put it in Christ church vernacular, we speak Jesus into everything. That's what we're about. So there's something excellent about Jesus, about who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, or what he will do, that speaks directly into whatever issues people are dealing with. And that's what we're to speak to them. That's what we share with them. That is our purpose in life. That is our mission. It is to proclaim Christ, and I'll say it here, first and foremost, to each other. Because that's what we need. We need that. I need that. When I, there's times I'm still in the dark sometimes. Maybe I'm alone in this. I'm in a situation. Maybe it's discouragement. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's confusion. And I'm in the dark. And I need you to come to me and to tell me something about how Christ is excellent that connects to what I'm going through. And that's what he's telling us here. Proclaim that. Proclaim the excellencies of Christ to one another. Help people get out of their darkness and into light. Whatever that darkness is for you. And so this is just... Peter's way of reminding us. This is what you have been set apart as a church to do. Which leads to a question, of course. If you're going to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, then that means you need to, you got to know them. Right? You can't proclaim what you don't know. Right? Does that make sense? You got to know it to proclaim it. And so if we find ourselves in a place where we're struggling to proclaim it, we need to back up the bus and go, well, maybe I'm not as familiar with the excellencies of Christ as I should be. Maybe. Sometimes I wonder, and I don't want to say this across the board for all churches, but I wonder if sometimes the lack of power and purpose is because we proclaim all kinds of things and not Christ. You talk to people about their church, and it's, oh, the preaching's really good, or we love the singing we have great kids programs. We have a school. If somebody asks you what Christ Church is about, please tell them Christ. It's kind of in the name. <laughs> just, just they, You'll be more weirded out than they will to start a conversation where you say, oh, our church is about Jesus. That's all it is. It's about Jesus. That's who we're about. We're not about anything else. All I want to do is tell you how excellent Jesus is. That is why our church exists. That's why all churches exist, is to help people that feel like sometimes life is dark and to show them light. And the only way you're going to see light is if I tell you about how great Jesus is. So let me tell you how great Jesus is in some way that connects to what you're going through. And that's exactly what is happening here. But you've got to know the excellencies of Christ to do it. So, awkward question. But if I were to ask you to come up here and take the mic... And you have 10 minutes to tell us about the excellencies of Christ. Could you do it? Could you, could you do it as well as you could tell me for 10 minutes about something else you love? There's things I could talk about for 10 minutes and captivate your attention. 
But can we talk about Christ in a way for 10 minutes that captures people's attention? You get where I'm going? No condemnation, just reality check. I'm passionate about all kinds of things I could talk about with you. And you are too. But this got to rise to the top. Is what's more excellent, Christ or fill in the blank? Well, if he's more excellent, then shouldn't be able to fill a room with praises and, and things about him specifically that are excellent? I would think so, because if I can't do that here, I'm not going to do it anywhere else. If I can't do that with you, I'm not going to do it with my lost friends. So the question is, are we proclaiming the excellence of Christ? And then if we're not, is it because maybe we just need to grow at understanding them? Maybe we need to grasp them. Maybe we need to, maybe we need to learn what they are and then grow in them. Because I think the point is that we are to do that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take three minutes, and you can work with other people, and you're gonna, I want you to write down as many things as you can think of about Christ that's excellent. So I have a simple question that's going to go up. What about Jesus is excellent? Or Jesus is excellent because dot, dot, dot. And I want to see what we come up with. So all the things that you know and love about Jesus, just start listing them. I've got 86 things on my list. And I think there's probably a gazillion more. I just, just started thinking about all the things about Jesus that are excellent. Just written down as fast as I could. There's 80-some odd there. So we're going to take three minutes. You work with other people. Somebody can be the scribe. Just start writing them down. As many as you can think of. Jesus is excellent because all we're doing right now is we're applying First Peter. So go ahead and talk to, talk to each other and write them down. Everybody's got something down? Kids are going first. And I'm going to do kids, and I'm going to do kids. Kids don't have to, but if you want to, I'd love for the kids to share. What about Jesus? Is you can just say, Jesus is excellent because. Finn, you want to go first? Excellent. Oh, I'm sorry. I called him Finn. I'm sorry. Sorry, dude. I, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I know. No. There's no other Finn in the church. You are the one and only Finn, I promise. Sorry about that. Micah. Dang it. Micah Finn. Micah Finn. Micah Finn. Everybody got it? We can greet them by name. Micah Finn. All right. Say yours again loud so people can hear it. Should I use a microphone? And we don't like microphones. Awesome. Saved us from sin. Count. Graceful and merciful. Good. He's loving. Good, Kinsley. Loving. Awesome. Abigail, you're not a kid, so you're not going to go. <laughs> Shout them out. You guys have one? JT, Bennett? Thank you. Evelyn, you got one? Um, gave us the Holy Spirit. Excellent. He sent the Holy Spirit. Very good. Very good. Henry, you got one? Good. Okay. Excellent. Jesus provides all things. Dorothy, Charlotte, you guys don't have to go. That's okay. I'm not going to twist any arms. He said he is perfect. He um, saved us. He died on the cross and rose again. And he made some incredible things. And he is always there. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. That's good. All right. 
Judy, you got something? He cares for us. Good. Yes, excellent, because he cares. He's three in one. That's pretty excellent. I'm only one in one, and sometimes not even, I'm not even the one. <laughs> sometimes a half in one, so that's pretty cool. Good. All right, adults. Let's, let's just shout some out. Jesus is excellent because let's just, here's what we're doing. Peter tells us, proclaim the excellencies of Christ. So we're obeying God's word right now by just doing what God tells us to do by proclaiming them. So let's just take a second and let's do this. So let's kind of go around there. If anybody wants to, just go ahead and shout out an excellency of Christ. Generous, patient, Good. Good. Understands what we're going through because he did. Always forgives. He gives peace that passes all understanding. Hmm. Make us. A bit strong. You guys over here? Ah, friend of the lonely. Good. You guys over here? Uh, Say it again. Made us righteous. righteous. Good. Kelly? Uh, He was the one promised in the Old Testament. Good. He's acquainted with our struggles. Amen. You guys over here? Living and active. Living and active. Good. Good. He intercedes and even for the Father. Amen. He always answers prayer. He listens and he sees us. He's steadfast. He doesn't change. Good. He's our good shepherd. He leads us. Leads us where we're at. Hmm. Good. I'll, I'll, I'll read to my list quickly just to fuel more fire for you to keep doing this. He's eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful. Christ is excellent because he's the creator, sustainer, and provider of all things. He's sovereign, self-sufficient, and independent. He does not change and cannot change. He is transcendent, yet he dwells with you. He is faithful, perfect, supreme, good, holy, all-wise. His love is so high and so wide and so long and so deep that you will never comprehend it. He is light. He protects. He guides. He provides. He is patient. He gives of himself and he is self-revealing. He is just. He is righteous altogether. He is the prince of peace. He is acquainted with grief. He is compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus is excellent because he is beautiful and merciful. He has never had a bad day or a bad attitude. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All fullness of God dwells in him. He always keeps all of his promises. He is filled with never-ending joy, trustworthy, infinite in all of his attributes, was the sinless man, yet a friend of sinners who endured the cross, as your substitute. He is your savior. He is your wrath absorber. 
He conquered sin. He defeated death. He crushed Satan's head. He destroyed the power of sin and tore the veil in two. He resurrected from the dead. He is excellent because he ascended to the Father and reigns on high. And now he made you born again. He is your redeemer, your justifier, and he ransomed you for all eternity. He is excellent because he set you free. You are free. He intercedes for you. He is your great high priest. He forgives. He washes you white as snow. He puts your sin into the bottom of the sea and as far as the east is from the west. He took your shame. He calls you his child and adopts you into his family. He cares about you. He heals you. He comforts you. He will raise you from the dead. He draws near to the brokenhearted. He calls you a friend and is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is for you and not against you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is preparing a place for you right now. And he's coming to take you home. He's excellent because he's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes and he's going to remove all pain. He'll bring perfect justice to all the wrongs and he will reign as the eternal, everlasting King of kings and Lord of lords. So there's just some of them. Add my list to your lists and just keep going. So I propose there are 105 days left in 2022. And let's say there's 100 of us in this room. What if every day, every one of us, proclaimed one excellent thing about Christ to other people. People in the church? Maybe not. I don't know. But what if every day you, when you, you're in God's word, which I trust you do, you, you're on a hunt, which is the primary thing we should be doing anyway when we're in God's word, is looking for something to wow us about God because it's there. We want to find joy and satisfaction in God, so we're looking for him in the word. And when you find it and you say, that's what makes Christ excellent, you pull out your phone, you text to somebody, you email somebody, you call somebody, you wait until your meeting that night and you tell them about the excellencies of Christ. So 105 days, there's 100 of us. That's 10,500 excellencies that will flow through the airwaves and into the ears and hearts of believers. That'd be pretty cool, don't you think? Simple way to apply what it says. Proclaim him. I think it's ideal when we do it face to face because you can nuance it and you can preach it to others with faith. But however we choose to do it, what if we did it? 105 days, 100 of us, 10,500 excellencies going through the airwaves. And here's why this is important. When disciples of Jesus don't know how to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, they are forced to proclaim something else which means if you don't know how to proclaim him to people when they need it, you're going to be weirded out, embarrassed, want to say something, and you'll say something that is not Jesus. Dare I say something that is anti-Jesus or anti-Christ because it's not Christ. And I don't know about you, but I would rather give somebody Christ than anti-Christ. <laughs> so let's, let's fill our hearts with the excellencies of Christ. Let's fill each other's ears and minds with how excellent he is and help each other. Help each other grow and understanding just how great God is, how great Christ is. So Peter then, he's going to tie all this stuff together now by really, he's going to weave our go and our grow mission together in this last little part in verse 11. So he begins with our grow. So he's got us proclaiming, proclaim that Christ is excellent. And then he warns us that there's a war raging in your soul to not do this. So look at what he says in verse 11. Beloved, 
I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There is a war going on in your soul. Do you know that this morning? There's a war. If you read this using the, the verbs that are in the Greek, this little sentence that I just read to you actually reads this way. Peter says, I strongly urge you, those who are loved, as sojourners and exiles, to continually keep away from the passions of your flesh, which continually wage war with your soul. In other words, it's a 24-hour day, seven day a week, no breaks, war. From the moment you wake up in the morning till pillow time, there's a war raging in your soul. Your flesh wants to take you back to darkness. That's really the bottom line. It wants to cloud your eyes from seeing that Christ is excellent and try to show you that other things that aren't excellent are excellent. That's what he's trying to do. He wants to mess with your mind, to have you believe that something is really great when it's not, and to cloud us from seeing Jesus for how great he really is. And listen, if you don't see Christ as supremely excellent, your flesh will be quick to give you other options. It will fill the void every time. So either we are pursuing and rejoicing in things that are excellent about Christ and finding light, or war is getting waged in your soul, your flesh is going to introduce all these other things, and they're going to masquerade as light, and they're going to, they're going to look excellent, and at the end of the day, they're not. They're just darkness. And so you are in a war. You are in a fight over what is truly excellent. Kids, I wanted to show you this. Maybe this helps you to understand what I'm talking about. Do you have any idea what this is? No. This was my first video game when I was a kid. It's the baseball. I had the football. I can't find it. I even had the one that passed. So when I got this as a kid, this was excellent. I mean, this was the, like, my cousin got one first, and I had to have one. And this was like, if you had this, you had it, you had it all. This was excellent until Atari came out. And you guys don't even know what Atari is. Okay, you do. Okay. And then all of a sudden, this wasn't quite as excellent anymore. And maybe you guys have had that happen. Maybe you've gotten a present of some kind. Maybe it's something in the video game world. And it's so excellent. But then the new one comes out. And the old one isn't so excellent anymore. Yeah, and then you... Absolutely, because you want the new one, right? Yeah, so this is sort of a silly way to say that the world does that only with things... This is not bad, but the world can do that with bad things, where your flesh wants to tell you that something is good that's not good, that something is excellent that's not excellent, and that Christ is not as excellent as whatever the other thing is. And so we've got to fight that war inside of us. And we need the help of others sometimes to help us fight that war inside of us so that we know what really is excellent and what really is not. So Peter here just strongly urges us to continually be aware of the fight and then to live differently, to live differently. And the living part comes out of the heart part. And he tells us in verse 12, now he moves to conduct, right? Beware of the passions in your heart, in your flesh, they're at war in your soul. And then in verse 12, he transitions to your behavior, to your conduct. Because he knows that your conduct flows out of your heart. You're going to see what I love by how I behave. 
If I behave a certain way, if I'm angry over something that I really want, it's going to show you that I love something more than I should, and I'm willing to get angry to get it. Right? So out of my heart flows my conduct. So that's what he says here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, and the word honorable there is actually the word excellent. Not the same word, but it's another word for excellence. So he's proclaim the excellencies of Christ and then make sure that your behavior is also excellent. So your proclaiming and living line up. We, we know that, right? I want my words and my behavior to line up. I don't want to say one thing and live differently. We have names for people like that, don't we? They aren't nice names, right? We want them to line up. And so he's saying, let your, let your conduct match what you're proclaiming. Let your heart be filled. Fight the war so that your actions line up with that. What, sure, what he's saying is, when Christ is excellent in your soul and in your mouth, it impacts your conduct. Your conduct will become excellent and beautiful as a result. And so why, why is this so important? Why, you ever wonder why, like, yeah, just a little sin here, a little sin there, you know, it's a, it's a hard battle. I get weary and tired. And you wonder why. Why am I fighting like this? Why do I keep fighting my flesh and, and, and fighting to see Christ as more excellent than other things in the world that are attractive to me? And so Peter tells us why. He tells us why. Look at what he says. He says, he gives us another so that statement. He gives us purpose. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that, here's the reason, Here's the reason we fight the passions of our flesh. We see Christ is excellent. We live in an honorable way. Here's the reason. So that when the Gentiles, that's just people who don't know Jesus, when people who don't know Jesus speak against you as evildoers, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, so the top of all of this is the glory of God. Why live different? So the Gentiles will see us live different. So they'll glorify God. So there's a conduct, there's deeds that we're called to do. So this transition is really from this idea of our growing mission into our going mission. Our, our deeds, our conduct is different so that lost people will see that Christ is excellent. So excellent that we live differently. So excellent that we do good deeds. And don't miss the phrase, it's among the Gentiles. In other words, they're not on the outside looking in at our good deeds. We're with them doing good deeds. We're with them doing the good deeds to them and with them. So, so that's the mission. It's I proclaim Christ and then I do good deeds so that the Gentiles, those who don't know Christ, will see the good deeds that I'm doing with them and to them in order to show them <clears throat> that Christ is excellent. So it's this idea of proclamation and demonstration. I proclaim that Christ is excellent, and then I demonstrate it by how I live my life. So that is the ultimate end, is that one day, and I don't know how this is all going to work, but God's going to come for a visit. He's coming back. And on that day when he comes back, people that don't know Jesus, that you loved, that you cared for, that you did good deeds for, they are going to glorify God for your good deeds. 
ultimately, why obey this passage? For the glory of God. Once again, I think if we don't have at the end of every one of our thoughts the desire to glorify God, you'll end up doing things for the wrong reasons. Ultimately, that's at the end of all of this. Proclaim God for the glory of God. Proclaim the excellencies of Christ for the glory of Christ. Do good deeds and watch your conduct and fight the war that's going on in your soul. Why? For the glory of God. But there's still this interaction that we have with people who don't know Christ. And it is a proclaiming interaction and it's a behavior. It's a blessing. It is a serving of them. And so I just want us to put all this together and just think about your life this fall and everything that's going on and how aware are you of what you're proclaiming to others and how you're living among those who are lost. Are you living among them in such a way that you are intentionally doing good deeds to them and for them so that they see that Christ is excellent by how you live your life? So this is another Eyes up sermon. This is another pay attention to the people around you sermon, sort of like Christine did at the park. Pay attention. There's people all around us, and they're in the dark. They're in the dark. And eight out of ten times, if you start to talk to somebody and ask them some questions about themselves, they will tell you how in the dark they are. They'll start to let you know where their struggles are and where life is hard. And then it gives you a chance to do good deeds and to tell them where hope comes from. But you got to make sure that you're among the Gentiles. So I don't know where you go. I don't know what you do. I don't know what your week looks like. But I bet all of us at some point rub shoulders with Gentiles, with people who don't know Jesus. And this is just a reminder to us to be so filled with the excellencies of Christ that when you're with those people, you just speak the excellencies of Christ. That when an opportunity comes for them to be served when they have a need, we just serve them. We do good deeds to them. This is God's way. This is the mission of the church. This is why we have been brought together in a community. We're to be a community who together looks for the needs of the people that we're living among who don't know Jesus to proclaim his excellencies and to serve them. It's pretty simple, isn't it? I think it's simple. I got to have a conversation this past week with a kid who was in my youth group in 1995, who is now 40 with two kids. And he's not tracking Christchurch at all, and I never taught this kind of stuff in youth ministry in 1995. But he was just sharing with me about church experiences and stuff, and he just said, I don't understand why Christians can't just be normal. He goes, why can't we just go hang out with people who don't know Jesus and tell them about Jesus? Why is this so complicated? And this is the guy who is the past had been crippled, I think, with some sorts of fear of man, who is now just free going, why can't we just love people who are messed up and hurting and have problems and don't look like us or talk like us or live like us? Why can't we just love them and just be normal and not weirded out by it? Why can't we just serve them and care for them? And I said, I wish I could just bring you here on Sunday, just let you share that with our church, because I know that's in our hearts, right? I mean, we just want to love people, and that's what it's about. And so I'm praying that this fall, as we continue to build as a church, rebuild after all the mess of the last couple of years that we really remember this is just about people. It's just about people. Being aware of the people around you, looking for opportunities to do good to them 
and listening for where you can proclaim to them how excellent Jesus is. Amen? All right, I want to like put our hands in the middle and go, yeah! (laughs) All right. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. I talked too long again. And I've got more. I didn't finish. But I'm done. All right, Lord's Supper. So let's, um, let's stand up together. And if you all would go, there is gluten-free in the back. There is uh, wine and juice up front. You can take your bread, dip it in the wine or in the juice, whichever you want. If you don't feel comfortable doing the dipping thing, there's little cups. You can take your own cup. Bring them back to your seat. And then we're just going to all take together. Okay, we're going to eat our bread together. So if you guys want to go ahead and start getting in line, the band's going to set up. We're going to sing one song and then we'll eat together.